Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. It's hard to know what to play next sometimes. There are just too many great games out there. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, uh, industry events, which may be a little thin on the ground at the moment, and uh, talking to some of the makers of the games that we love to play. Now, today is, is a little bit of a mix of those, uh, but it is, I'm very excited to bring on a guest who has been on many times before and is literally one of my favorite people to talk to when podcasting. He was the TO of Australia's largest bolt action event for years and years. And as I said, he is literally one of my favorite people to talk to when podcasting. We share a ton of interests. He's a righteous man. Of course, I'm talking Peter West. Welcome to Cast Dice, my friend. Thanks for having me back, Brad. It's been a while. It has been 12 months since you were on the Cast Dice uh, trivia challenge, uh, which was the end of 2019. Which I won. Yes. The champion. Reigning champion, I might add. Um, so what have you done with your glorious year of uh, reigning tri uh, Cast Ice Trivia Championship? Uh, well, after the national tour and uh, accepting the uh, you know Australian of the Year award, yes, um, I decided to <laughs> decided to retire into obscurity. <laughs> um, no, like most people, it's been a, a bit of a funny year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, COVID has stopped a lot of gaming, um, so didn't get as much gaming done as I would like last year. Um, did get some painting done, but as always, not as much as I would like, mm -hmm. but. Uh, I'm glad to be in 2021 and um, looking forward to uh, getting some more games in and some rolling some dice. Now, you were in a part of Australia that did not lock down as, uh, as much as some others. Uh, so you've actually been able to get some games in, and that's kind of led to your uh, sort of digging back into bolt action, right? Yeah, that's right. Fortunately... Um, Canberra, like the rest of Australia, did the initial lockdown, mm -hmm. but we didn't really have a serious outbreak here. And then um, we came out of that and we've been lucky enough, touch wood, not to have any sort of resurgence or second wave. So um, I think since about September, October, we've been able to get back into the gaming store and... Um, a couple of us uh, decided to start doing some bolt action and I've uh, been playing in a bolt action North African campaign for the last couple of months with nice. my Vichy uh, French, um, mm -hmm. who've been doing reasonably well. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been good to good to get some gaming in and, and it was an opportunity to come back to bolt action after a bit of a break. As you said, I did CanCon for five years and um, just need a bit of a break from bolt action um after that but um really getting back into it now and re with renewed vigor and um reminding myself what i really love about the game it's a great game right there are just so many good mechanics the community is pretty good i mean everything and there's more models out than ever to to represent some of the more minor nations slash some of the more interesting parts of the war involving major nations, you know, units that were, we've never seen vehicles that were never seen, especially now with 3d printing being what it is. There are, I mean, the opportunities to play out 
conflicts for World War II using bolt action have just you know, ballooned out exponentially in recent years um, compared to what we used to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're really starting to get into some of the niche and smaller nations that I really doubted we'd ever see um, figures mm -hmm. and rules for, and it's great. It's, um, you know, it just grows the game as people with different interests come into it, and some people just because they like the, you know, nation or the conflict that's being represented. Um, so, yeah, some people exploring some really interesting parts of the uh, World War Two, and which, you know, in turn gives players very different sorts of games that, you know, when you rock up to a game, you often don't know what you're going to be facing mm -hmm. these days and you can get some really interesting and fun forces on the other side of the table from you. I mean, how many times back in the day did you rock up to a table and go, okay, I'm going to face Americans, British, or Germans? And that was pretty much it forever. And I know there were Soviet players sprinkled in there. I know. And there were other, you know, there were play, players playing other things. But, you know, 90% of the people that I played played those armies for so long that it was like, oh, God, please give me something else. And now we have that, which is great. I mean, the rules have existed, but you haven't always had the opportunities to build the armies to put them on the tabletop, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's been plenty of passionate people who have gone out and um, uh, built their own armies by um, a lot of green stuff and mm -hmm. perseverance and hard work. But um, we've now reached that point where, uh, companies are producing dedicated figures for many of these smaller nations. Um, you know, we'll talk about one today, but you know, mm -hmm. just off the top of my head, there's people like Anzio Miniatures producing new Chinese sculpts as well. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, even Warlord themselves, you know, they're getting deep into the Hungarians. Um, you know, it's really great to see that you people who don't feel confident in playing with green stuff or um, chopping and changing things can now, you know, go out and pick a unique army that sets them out from everyone else in their local meta or region. I mean, I, you would have remembered way back when we interviewed uh, John Stollard on the owner of Warlord Games on one of the Bolt Action podcasts that I've done. And it he literally made a joke about Hungarian paratroopers. Like, that's never going to happen. No, no, no. That's ridiculous. Don't be silly. And they exist now. Like, Warlord puts them out. And just to see things like that happening where major game companies are, are making some of those more obscure units is just really fantastic. Because you can now field an entire Hungarian paratrooper force. And you have been for a while. But then you have uh, Great Escape Games or Crusader uh, who are making Romanians, for example. Um, and I mean, there's a, actually quite a few companies that are making Romanian models that you can sort of pick and choose from when building a force. Um, but let's, let's, let's get off this and get into the main topic here. Speaking of Romanians, uh, another army from the uh, Italy book, the Italy and the Minor Powers book, uh, Armies of, for bolt action. Of course, we have the Hungarians. Of course, we have the Romanians in Italy and Finland. But the lesser one of those, and I don't say lesser like it's not, you know, they're not good people or it's not a good army. Just the one that you've seen the least, uh, of course, would be 
Bulgarians. Now, I often lump Romanians, Hungarians, and Bulgarians all kind of together. And that might be because way back when, when the LRDG did an episode, we, we did all three at once. And in my mind, they've always been kind of intrinsically linked as the small army lists in the back of the Minor Powers book. Uh, but so much so that I guess I assumed when I was going through the Budapest book that Bulgarians got extra things in there as well, because I know Romanians do, obviously Hungarians do, but I just assumed they were part of that, but they were completely not. And today we are going to spend a little time giving a little love to an army that hasn't necessarily gotten a, a lot of podcast and or tabletop loving the Bulgarians. And in the process, we're going to talk about how you've brought your own spin on that. And you've created a bonus army list that adds to the existing list that exists. But I guess before we get into any of that, Pete, I guess I got to ask, why Bulgarians? Um, well, as you said, when the book came out, um, so Armies of Italy in the Axis, and you read through it, and I'm always on the lookout for the sort of odd army, particularly mm -hmm. one that suits my style, play style, which is I tend to like inexperienced hordes. Um, you know, the Bulgarians actually caught my eye at the time when the book first came out, because if you just sit down and look at it, the army special rules are actually pretty good. And in fact... Are. Bulgarians have got a very unique one, that counterpartisan experts army special rule, um, which is pretty damn good, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always, you know, had in the back of my mind that would be a good army to do. But I'm sure, like a lot of people, when you actually look at it and see, well, okay, where can I get Bulgarian figures from? Where can I get uh, Bulgarian information from? Where can I get Bulgarian vehicles from? Um, it's the army list as it's currently written is a is a bit restrictive, and um, the figures and some of the vehicles, at least when this book initially came out, weren't there to support it. So I right. think the Bulgarians sort of got very short shrift to begin with, and mm -hmm. kind of got forgotten in the mists of time um, as other armies like the Romanians and the Hungarians got a real shot in the arm and some focus and attention and a lot of minis as well. So uh, they kind of got left behind. But um, when I got was getting back into bolt action this year and thinking, well, I'd not only like to start playing again, but let's look at what army I can put together. I thought back to the Bulgarians and um, coincidentally um, found out that there's a range of Bulgarian figures coming out in the not too distant future and i thought that sounds like the perfect excuse to um commit to doing some bulgarians and now you're talking about the great escape games line yeah that's right so great escape games has announced um that they're going to start producing a range of bulgarian figures and in fact just before christmas they did a sort of internal kickstarter type thing to um do get some initial orders on the book so um, they've now committed to producing a pretty extensive range of the infantry required mm -hmm. um, to field a Bulgarian force. Um, and I think with other bits and pieces from other wargaming companies, at this point, once that range comes out a bit later this year, um, it shouldn't be too hard to put together some Bulgarians for the first time. 
Yeah, I mean, especially since if you look at the army list, as we're going to discuss in a couple of minutes, it's not like there's seven or eight or nine different infantry types. We're talking about you know, fairly restrictive unit choices. Now, I'm sure that if you wanted to visually change that over the course of the war, things would mix up and change, and they would need a range of models to have variety. But given the the, the depth of this army list that is initially presented, there aren't that many different troop types that you would need to create this, right? No, that's right. If you're just using the um, Bulgarian army list um, from the straight from the book, uh, there's not that many um, infantry type options, and the Bulgarians, certainly the units represented in the army book, um, look very similar. So you, there's no, there's no sort of you're not talking about like mountain troops versus you know who wear some sort of unique uniform with feathers in their hats versus mm-hmm. infantry who wear something completely different. Um, Bulgarian infantry were pretty stock standard, and in terms of what they used and wore, um, and in fact. It's kind of one of the things that's made it difficult, I think, for other um, for people to do Bulgarians up to this point. That the Bulgarians had a very unique look that was mm-hmm. pretty general across the army, and they didn't, um, unlike some other armies, they didn't re- generally reuse uh, either German equipment or old French equipment, where you could just sort of do some head swaps and um, knock out an army. They used quite unique kit, which was um, uh, unique to them, um, in particular, uh, their helmet. Mm-hmm. Now, we are going to get into modeling a little bit later on, uh, but let's talk about that helmet in particular to start with. It has, uh, as as you described off air, almost a shark-like fin. It, it's not as pronounced as what I'm describing, but it, it's a, a subtle yet pronounced, uh, recognizable ridge on the top of their helmet that runs straight down the middle. In a way, it resembles a German helmet, but the way that the top comes together makes it visually very different on the tabletop, doesn't it? Yeah, it sort of looks at a distance somewhat similar to the German World War One helmet, um, mm-hmm. which is what the Bulgarians replaced. Uh, but um, they redesigned it you know, for a bunch of comfort reasons and and other things. But one of the things they did was increase the side the angle of the slopes of the sides to better deflect bullets, which um, in turn, uh, I don't know if it forced it, but it certainly um, led to that uh, sort of funny ridge look on the top there, which um, gives it a very unique appearance. I may have made a Flash Gordon joke somewhere off air, <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Um, yes, they, it, it almost has a uh, ray gun sci-fi-esque feel to it, which uh, looks you know, really cool. Uh, well, let's talk about Bulgaria in general. Um, now, Bulgaria is a really interesting nation uh, from a historical standpoint in the, in the war because they start out as a neutral power, um, but they eventually join the Axis um, with Germany, but they don't get involved at all with the invasion of the Soviet Union, given how culturally, uh, how close their ties are with the Soviet people. And so they are often used, for example, in um, Italy, and they're also used sort of internally against anti-partisan forces. But because of that close cultural tie, um, there's actually a lot of partisan forces that spring up within Bulgaria against 
Bulgarian troops. And so the Bulgarians often end up fighting themselves. But then as the Soviet Union comes over in 1945, um, they join, they switch sides, they join with the Soviets, and they are eventually folded into what we, or what was at the time, sort of 1950s, 1960s Soviet Union. Um, am I summarizing this ballpark in the right direction, Pete? Of course, you can talk with more detail, but is this sort of the character of Bulgaria in World War II? Yeah, in broad brush, that's pretty much the nature of Bulgaria's World War II. I mean, in many respects, they are, you know, one of the most unique uh, nations in the war that they were a part of the Axis for many years, but actually really in that role didn't really fight, you know, in the sort of conventional World War II. As you said, they were mainly doing partisan roles in the Balkans. Um, and it wasn't actually until they joined the Allies um, uh, aligned with the Soviet Union that they really, I guess, um, participated in the war in that sort of very conventional sense of um, uh, military combat as opposed to sort of anti-partisan operations. But it, it, it it's a really interesting story um, of the divisions between the pop broader population in Bulgaria, which, as you mentioned, sort of saw themselves as part of the broader Slavic um, world, um, not necessarily... Not everyone was happy with the Soviet Union, but they certainly yeah. saw themselves as a people aligned more with the Slavic world. But the elites in Bulgaria um, saw Germany um, as a nation that industrialised quickly, was very modern, was their main trading partner, and they were very keen to stay close to Germany. And the king was trying to balance those two forces. The king, who sort of was a dictator in all, in all senses, um, was trying to keep the population on side by not going to war with the Russians, but also um, keep the elites on side and also the benefits of being an ally with Germany. And they, they, I think they really hoped they'd actually be able to stay out of the war and stay neutral throughout. But um, th for a bunch of reasons, that was never realistic. Yeah, exactly. As you say, um, both sides became uh, quite embroiled with uh, sort of inter-slash-counter-partisan action um, within the Balkans. And so not only do you get resistance fighters springing up, but then you get sort of uh, conventional army troops, conventional units being more specialized in counter-partisan um, tactics, action, like they know what to do in these situations, which yeah. is, again, uh, you know, outside of the NKVD, not something we really see on the bolt action tabletop. I guess there are some counter partisan German units slash selectors and other books, but that's not really something that you typically see in a lot of bolt action games. Yeah, no, they, they really had a very unique role in the war. Um, you know, when they joined the Axis, uh, it was essentially because the Germans were on their borders um, in preparation for their invasion of Yugoslavia and were going to go through one way or another. So Bulgaria could either join or be subjugated, um, I think was really the options they were presented with. Mm -hmm. um, so they did join the Axis at that point, but they you know, interestingly did not participate then in the invasion of Yugoslavia and Greece, so they stayed out of that. And then they um, did not, as you already said, participate in the invasion of the Soviet Union. Um, now, 
shortly after the German victories in Yugoslavia and um, Greece, the Bulgarians were happy to assist the Germans with the occupation, particularly since they saw um, some of those lands as being Bulgarian lands, which they'd lost in World War One. Right. So they were happy to cooperate with the Germans and take back what they saw as their land. And so, you know, there was a period of about three years where they were involved in these intensive um, anti-partisan operations in uh, Greece and parts of the Balkans, the former Yugoslavia. But mm-hmm. I think the really interesting thing is the fact that their relation, how their relationship with the Germans sort of went up and down during that time. Um, one of the reasons that the Germans didn't push them to participate in the invasion of the Soviet Union is that they were quite happy to have someone take over occupation duties in um, Yugoslavia. But also one thing we sort of tend to forget is that as the war went on, the idea that Turkey may join the Allies became a real concern for Germany. And so Bulgaria was very good at playing up the fact that they were the bulwark against a um, allied Turkey and they would um, defend Germany's, uh, the Axis's borders um, against Turkey. So whenever the Germans looked to them to do more in other parts of the war, uh, they would always, you know, trot out the line about, you know, defend, having to hold, having to be prepared to defeat the Turks if they join the Allies. So that's fascinating. Yeah, because we never think of Turkey being an active participant in World War II. I often forget they're even there. I mean, obviously they were a major part in World War One, but um, yeah, just the fact that they use that as their line to not be more involved—it's fascinating. Just um, because I don't even think about Turkey how much that would have been an impact on, you know, keeping Bulgaria from being more largely involved. Yeah, no, it's really a fascinating piece of history. And, you know, the Germans and the Bulgarians even discussed invading um, Turkey to preemptively knock Turkey out um, as a potential partner of the ally, allies. But then the focus sort of once again shifted after the Germans were defeated in North Africa. Um, there was a lot, the Germans increasingly became concerned about allied landings on the um, uh, the Mediterranean, southern Europe, European coast. Mm-hmm. And so the Germans, um, once again, were, were quite happy to have Bulgaria put more troops into the role of defending the um, southern European coast. Fascinating. It's, you know, you learn something new every time you podcast. There you go. Well, <laughs> let's talk about how that plays out on the bolt action tabletop shall we um now guys we are going to talk about the official army list out of the minor powers list and then or the minor powers book and then we're going to dig into the additional pdf that uh pete has created for us to use so um given that the original army list is, as Pete pointed out, seven pages long, um, this shouldn't take too long. Um, But Pete, let's talk a little bit about the armies of Bulgaria special rules. So there's two national rules. One is access allies and the other is the counter-partisan experts. Now, the access allies rule is outside of rear guard police work, Bulgarian forces operated almost exclusively on German planned and organized operations. To represent this, a Bulgarian force may include one extra unit from either the German list uh, from the Bolt Action Rulebook or the Armies of Germany book or the Italian Eastern Front theater selector from the Minor Power book. 
although no Italian army special rules apply. And I'm sure everyone in the background says, few. Anyway, um, this unit does not count towards the normal platoon maximum. That's a really big one, guys. And it can't be a veteran unit, cannot be a vehicle with a uh, or a vehicle with a damage value of 10 or greater. So no tigers. Um, so Pete, let's talk about that rule in particular. Um, how do you see that really playing out in the Bulgarians? Do you like it? How does it influence the tabletop? I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Talk to me about that rule. Oh, it's a great rule. I mean, just from pure bolt action rules terms, I mean, mm -hmm. an opportunity to take an additional unit outside of the limits on, um, well, anything. So, you, mm -hmm. you know, you can pick a German Nebelwerfer or a German tank or an Italian tank. So it's, um, yeah, it's one of the better rules in the game. And so it's um, it, it, any force which can take that is, uh, I think, well positioned. And I think it works reasonably well with the Bulgarians um, just because, as we'll talk about, they have a lot of um, lower quality vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, so the, allowing you to take an additional one, um, I think, doesn't unbalance anything and also, you know, gives you an opportunity to represent the full variety of the Bulgarian forces. Exactly. And I mean, if you wanted to add, for example, uh, pioneers, if you wanted to have, you know, anti-fortification uh, troops, you could do that. And you can have your flamethrower in there because there isn't a flamethrower in this army list otherwise. Um, if you wanted to have... Uh, a particular tank, uh, or as you said, like uh, because the tanks in this list aren't exactly the most uh, competitive or you know overly powerful <laughs> tanks in the war. Um, but if you're looking for something to add that flavor, if you want to add Falschmeiger, if you want to add uh, mountain troops, you can really get in there and add something to this. Um, you know, that could be from a more competitive standpoint, or that could be a fluff, depending on where and when in the war you want to represent your forces. And I think it's particularly important. Um, I, for one, as a player, typically play, don't play theater selectors. I usually end up playing reinforced platoons. Um, and if you want to go to two platoon, which is very common these days, uh, you often, I mean, you need to pay the 50-point lieutenant tax to get the second lieutenant into your force um but if you want to just if you want to have more than the initial five infantry squads in your force and a lot of people do uh, i love having my ideal number of squads in an army is typically six so for me this is great because it allows me to take my five squads my reinforced platoon plus i can take a squad from the italian or the german list that will give me my sixth infantry squad on the table, which for me is exactly what I want at a thousand points. Um, but again, as you said, it also gives you the opportunity to really add something to the list, uh, be it artillery wise or vehicle wise, that is just not there otherwise. Um, how would you use this um, in a list if you were thinking about it? Uh Given the number of models I've bought recently for Bulgarians, that that's not a problem. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I I quite like a lot of the, as we'll get into, some of the odder Bulgarian armor choices that are available. And I think, you know, an opportunity to run either one platoon with um, two armor or um, perhaps uh, two platoons with um, maybe um three 
for want of a better term, really crappy armor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it makes for a fun game. It does. It does. Having all those. And, you know, some people b- bemoan the uh, the early war tanks with festoons with machine guns. Uh, th- those tanks aren't in this list. This is all like goofy armor that you can just run around and have a good time with it, right? Yes, unfortunately, the Bulgarians never got any of those gun buggies. In fact, um, as we'll get into, one of the good early war tanks is the Italian uh, CV-33, which um, for dirt cheap points gives you, normally an Italian list would give you two MMGs um, under armour. But, you know, the Bulgarians had to take out the two machine guns and put in one. So, (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, let's talk about the other national role because, as you mentioned earlier, spoilers. This one's a great one, and it is is original. It's it's one of those that isn't reused in other places. Um, the Axis Allies list does appear in other army lists, but the counterpartisan experts does not. Uh, now, this rule says the Bulgarian army fought extensively through the Balkans in anti-resistance operations, making it an expert in countering enemy infiltration tactics. To represent this, when fighting against uh, wait, uh, when fighting against Bulgarians, snipers, observers, and spotters cannot use their special deployment rules, which I actually had forgotten they didn't do, which is pretty amazing. No forward deployers, buddies, um, at least not those units, and must instead be deployed like the rest of the force. In addition, enemies cannot outflank the Bulgarians. They must always come in from their own table edge when arriving from reserve. Now, outflank is one of those rules that, when you first start playing against it, seems really powerful. And beginning players often use it to death, but then it sort of tapers off a bit. But then you find veteran players, again, using it all the time um, to get units in places that are hard to reach without getting smashed by uh, opponent's fire. Uh, it, it's, it's a fine balancing act to get that rule right, uh, but it is a great rule, and these guys just turn it off. Uh, Pete, talk to us about that, because this seems awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's really great. I like to call it the make thin, play, thin players sad rule. Um, <laughs> Love but, it. <laughs> but it's actually, the outflank is, for me, a bit of a bonus. I actually like the not being able to put um, snipers, observers, and spotters um, on the board mm-hmm. um, so just think about that i mean you're not going to bring in you're going to have no spotters or artillery barrages on turn one they have to actually uh come in on the board and it gives you a chance to kill them as they're trying to find a good spot um so i actually think that's the really good part of the rule yeah, it, it really does limit the uh, effectiveness of some of those units. I mean, depending on the mission, some of them will already start on the table, but they will be they will start on the table much further back. And as you said, in a much less advantageous uh, position, which is pretty damn valuable. Yeah, Soviet, Soviet scouts as well. So. Oh, of course. And all those, I mean... Uh, would that work against U.S. Rangers? Yeah, no. it's interesting. No, Be- I don't think so. No, because Rangers move at the start of a game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, the uh, my old uh, entire Soviet scout army would be starting where they would normally start. Oh, that's fancy. Uh, where other infantry would start, which would defeat the purpose of all those points I spent on an infiltrating army. Fascinating. 
Hmm. Now, uh, Pete, talk to us about this as a rule on the tabletop. You think, um, does this make the army, I've heard a couple of people say in the past that this makes the army OP. I don't think it does. Uh, look, no. Um, I mean, it's a very good rule, and it's one of the reasons that I think, you know, part of that the Bulgarians um, are an interesting army, but I, I certainly don't think it makes anything OP. I mean, in, not, they're not really getting a unit for free, so a dice for free like mm. other armies. Um, certainly, uh, they're not getting um, a free artillery piece like the Romanians. Mm. So, I mean... It makes them a good army, but certainly I wouldn't wouldn't even put push them into the top five because of this rule. I mean, no. it, it, it's a good rule, and certain players will be able to make good use of it. But it's not certainly not a game breaker by any um, stretch of the imagination. And as you say, I think that um, outflanking is you know a bit of hit and miss miss anyway. Uh, I'm not sure that if you perhaps except for one or two armies that have built that as a key strategy i.e. like the Finns, um it uh it's not that um critical to most armies yeah exactly and i think uh what also balances this is if you look at the bulgarian list they just don't have the depth of units to allow you to create something like that for example if you if this rule was a, a stapled to the german list or the the british list or the american list or the soviet list heaven forbid you would be able to create something truly evil that would really shut down a lot of your opponents um, pre-deployment shenanigans slash tactics once the ga game got going, but you would have the units to really punish them for that. I don't believe that this army has all of the tools to really do that. So though this is a great rule, I don't think it's overpowered. I think it, it definitely helps this army out and, and definitely puts it in a giant step forward uh, tier ahead of armies like, oh, I don't know, Norway. Um but the army lists themselves are fairly similar. Um, but this one, this rule definitely gives Bulgarians a, a very distinct flavor, but it also gives them a, a bonus on the tabletop, given they may not have the selection of units that a lot of other people do. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think it lifts an army that would otherwise be bordering on completely useless to, uh, you know, something that is playable, if not good. Exactly. Well, let's talk about what is in that army list. Now, this isn't this conversation isn't going to be going through every point value uh, simply because a lot of these are cut and paste out of other army lists that you would all be familiar with if you've played bolt action. Uh, for example, um, to lead this army, you have the officer um, corps. You can take lieutenants. You can take your first or second lieutenant. Uh, you can take a captain, major, all of that. It's basically the officer section from every other book. Um, likewise, medics are the same. Um, you can have a medic with up to two extra guys. Of course, they have pistol or none as depicted. Um, and there's a forward observer. Only artillery, no air observer. And that fills out the headquarter units for Bulgaria. Again, very straightforward. Pete, do you want to add anything to that or is it really straightforward? No, that's as vanilla as vanilla gets. Yeah, literally. Um, now let's get into the infantry because this is where the nuts and the bolts sort of dig in a little bit. So we have an infantry section. Now you cannot take these guys as veteran. 
They have to be taken as regular. And you get an NCO and five guys, or sorry, four guys. So you have a total of five. And it's the normal 10 points per model that you see in every other army list. You can take up an additional five guys um, with rifles. You can take one soldier um, with an LMG when the uh, another soldier becomes the loader. So it's the same as almost every other army list or infantry model in the game. You can have an NCO with a submachine gun, which resembles lots of other nations. And here's the big difference. You can give one soldier a Panzerfaust for 10 points. So it's twice as expensive as you would see in the German list, for example, but does allow you to take a very basic infantry squad, but you have the option of taking a Panzerfaust in it, which, if you take it, gives the unit tank hunters. Um, what do you think, Pete? That is your bare bones basic squad. Pretty straightforward? Yep. Nothing exciting there. I don't know, man. I, I like that Panzerfaust. I think it's pretty cool. But yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. There's no special rules. You can't, you know, deck them out with submachine guns or assault rifles or anything else. You can take one Panzerfaust. Very basic. Yep. Well, let's get into your favorite one, Pete, the inexperienced infantry squad, <laughs> which is the same thing, except uh, it's inexperienced. And it's the usual seven points per inexperienced guy. It's an NCO with five guys. The NCO has a pistol while everyone else has a rifle. Actually, that's true for the other squad that I mentioned before. I forgot to read that. Um, but you can have a light machine gun, just like the other squad. You can have the NCO with a submachine gun, just like the other squad. Um, but you cannot have a Panzerfaust with this squad, but they do get an option that the other squad does not get. You can make them shirkers at minus three points per model. Uh, Pete, this seems to be the squad that I know you're going to be probably most excited about in this list. Why don't you tell us about the inexperienced guys? Uh, I mean, you know, they're inexperienced infantry, um, but I think when you're talking about a Bulgarian army, it is um, one that certainly players who are looking to play, feel the historical force are going to be sort of closely looking at. Um, for reasons we can get into, I think it's fair to say that um, when you're talking about Bulgarians going into sort of conventional con combat against the Germans or the Russians, they certainly would be considered inexperienced. Um, they had a lot of, as we've alluded to on a couple of occasions, anti-partisan experience, but um, that does not a conventional force make. So, um, and for a bunch of other reasons too, the growth of the army, that sort of thing, I think, you know, inexperienced infantry is probably going to be the bulk of any Bulgarian force. And um, in a, for a number of reasons, Shirkers is probably going to be in there as well. Now, would you take Shirkers in an army that you are building? Um, or I know that some people wouldn't even consider it. Uh, I'd I know it, it can be quite the handicap on your forces, um, but I have faced an army that was, I believe it was like 80 models, like squads of like 12 inexperienced, two platoons, everyone had shirkers, and it was just wave upon wave upon wave. And it was, it was, very, it was a very different army to face on the tabletop. It was great. Um, what do you think about shirkers in this list, in this army? Um, I take shirkers all the time. I mean, half my Vichy French force is shirkers. Um, I think it's just a, and particularly in this army and this period, as we can, as we'll talk about, there are good reasons to take shirkers. Um, at both phases of the conflict, there were social forces and political forces, which meant that the, 
average Bulgarian soldier or the Bulgarian officers um, were perhaps not fully committed to the war. And so I think um, for that reason alone, it's um, worth thinking about taking shirkers before you even get into, oh, well, they're only, um, you know, four points each. And therefore, if you put some shirker squads in there, what else can you put in there as well? Exactly. Now, what, can you remind us what exactly do shirkers do um, and how does that play out on the tabletop? Um, so shirkers uh, have two effects. Like the inexperienced, um, they are minus one. So mm-hmm. when you're shooting, you're shooting at a minus one. But um, essentially, you're always giving them orders um, uh, and you have to roll a morale check for them to do anything. So... You know, if you want them to advance, move, whatever, whether or not they've got pins on them, you have to do an order check. Um, so they are difficult to use, both in terms of um, getting them to do what you want and also mm-hmm. getting them to actually kill anything. But, you know, depends what you use them for. I mean, you're either, I think, looking at one extreme or the other, you're either going uh, a lot of them and using them in human waves like you were um, previously talking about. Mm-hmm. Not sure that would be appropriate for Bulgarians, right. um, although maybe some of this during some of the Soviet period, um, certainly uh, Soviet commissars managed to mo- motivate large amounts of troops. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think if the other end of, is that maybe you have one or two squads that represent new troops or rear area troops who've been armed to do a certain job. I think particularly in a partisan environment where no one was safe from attack, the idea that you've got the company cooks or even the company records people um, being given arms and told to fight off a partisan attack Mm -hmm. is um, very realistic. Exactly. Exactly. And would you consider taking maybe a more efficient officer or sorry, a more effective officer, even though they're more expensive, like a major or a captain, um, to sort of counterbalance that, to, to give them that leadership bump to get them to do, as you put, what you want on the tabletop? Um, I generally don't. I'm, I'm pretty stingy when it comes to spending points. Um, I'd rather have something that can um, shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. um, even if my that means my inexperienced shirkers are just a speed bump. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, I, I've certainly seen a lot of people um, use that effectively, put a more senior officer with shirker squads to get them to um, be slightly more effective. I haven't sat down and done the maths to figure out pluses and minuses of how much it's worth spending to try and make inexperienced shirkers worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, and guys, if you're wondering why we're spending so much time digging into whether shirkers is an effective use on this inexperienced infantry squad that looks like just about every other inexperienced squad in the game. It's because there's only one other infantry squad, guys, and we're about to get into that. Let's talk about the mounted troops. Uh, These are veteran. Ta-da! And we have uh, an NCO and four guys on horses. Uh, So, And you can take four additional guys, so you can go up to nine. Uh, And there are 15 points each, so it is the traditional 13 for vets, two for horses. Um, You can give that squad a light machine gun. Um, But what's interesting is there's a special rule that attaches itself to this cavalry unit. And cavalry, you know, usually more in version one of the game, had a reputation for being, you know, OP. Um, These guys were never considered that. 
because they were not trained to charge into battle. Uh, rather, they acted as mobile reserve or a resistance pursuit unit. Bulgarian cavalry units may move into contact with an enemy unit. Uh, sorry, may may move into an enemy unit when mounted. On the other hand, both uh, Bulgarian cavalry units do not suffer the minus one to the leadership to roll on from reserve. So they can't assault in hand to hand, but they don't suffer the minus one for coming on. So they're they they have the no minus one for coming on like the Americans. Uh, however, they also um, they're not good at just charging across the board and running through units in hand to hand. Am I reading that right, Pete? Because I feel like I tripped that up. No, that's um, you pretty much got it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, it's good for this Bulgarians. I mean, it, it pretty well represents what the Bulgarian um, cavalry were, which was you know truly mounted infantry by um, uh, the outbreak of the war. So uh, you know, it's good to have a veteran option, um, and uh, they were an important part of the Bulgarian armed forces just from a pure bolt action efficiency point of view i'm not sure how many of these guys i would be taking at the mm-hmm. moment none but uh yeah. you know i think that they're a, a good entry to have in the bulgarian army list and gives um, people that option of building a historically accurate force yeah exactly i was thinking if you were to add a squad of these guys um two i would take it one of two ways one if i just wanted to have a veteran squad and i wasn't willing to use my squad from another army list squad on that you could take these guys and just not take the horses sure you'd be taking a minus two point penalty like you would basically be wasting two points per model but you could do it. And before you say that's terribly wasteful, uh, I hear some of the people on the internet saying that if you have a squad of nine of these guys, you're basically throwing away 18 points, which, you know, for better or for worse, isn't going to break an army list, but would allow you to take a veteran squad if that's what you desperately needed for your, for your game plan. I think the other one would be um, given the Bulgarian rules and keeping people back and, not being able to outflank, having a squad or two of these guys to zip forward and dive out, um, get off their horses, dismount on an objective um, or into cover or somewhere key may not be a bad idea because they can come in, they can come in from the sides without you know suffering the minus one. They can come in from reserve. They can speed across the board because they have the the great cavalry move. Uh, and then they can get on top of an, an objective that your opponent might just not be able to get to as quickly because of the Bulgarian rules. And you can get in there early and hold it and hold off your opponent with the rest of your army. I mean, these are just some thoughts. I don't I don't know if that would be necessarily what I would do. But if I was to use these guys, that's probably what I'd use them for. Uh, Pete, what about you? Yeah, no, it sounds like a very viable strategy. Um, you... As always, are thinking like the game player and looking at the scenario, whereas I just go, what do I have to kill? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a pretty good idea. I think a squad of these guys dashing in, being veterans, jumping on an objective, um, if you had, say, six or seven of them, they'd be pretty hard to shift. Um, So, yeah, that's a good opportunity. And it's always good to see uh, cavalry on the table. 
even though, God, I hate painting horses. Um, but yeah, it would be great, right? I mean, it would just be, it would visually be cool. Uh, and not to mention getting a veteran squad in on an objective and just screaming down and holding your head down for the rest of the game. You know, that 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 could be a thing. Um, let's talk about small teams because we've run out of infantry units. Um, we have the your standard medium machine gun team, no light. I guess the lights are in the squads. No heavy machine gun options, only medium. Panzer Shreks, um, which are included in the list, but correct me if I'm wrong, were not used widespread across the army list, Pete? Am I making that up? No, look, I haven't been able to find any evidence that the Germans formally gave or transferred any Panzer Shreks to the Bulgarians, but it's a confused theatre and... The Soviets transferred a lot of stuff. The Bulgarians um, picked up a lot of stuff on the battlefield for reuse. So, look, anything's possible in this theatre. So I'd never say no, but right. um, I'm a bit dubious. I just haven't been able to find any evidence to support it. Right. But I think a more realistic and likely, uh, if you were going to try and realistically recreate uh, Bulgarians on the tabletop unit, Compared to the Panzerschreck, of course, would be the anti-tank rifle. Um, these guys had plenty of those, um, both from the Germans and from the Italians. So that is an option, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the anti-tank rifles, um, particularly uh, good for the Bulgarians, um, we sort of haven't really gotten the backstory, but after losing in world war one the bulgarians had a lot of restrictions placed on them um, mm -hmm. as part of the post-war settlement and they were not really able to build up significant anti um, uh, tank capability before the start of the war and really uh, anti-tank rifles was one of the few things they were both allowed to and could get their hands on in numbers so they had quite a few of those and then they got um, uh, some more from um, the germans too after the start of the war nice so yeah, there you go. That's a good addition to the list uh, and a good cheap order dice. But we also throw in uh, sniper teams, um, which, you know, look like everyone else's. Um, you can take those as regular veteran. Uh, and then we also have uh, mortars. So we have light mortars and medium mortars, but no heavy mortars. Uh, Pete, this is, that is the entire small team selection. It seems like it covers most of the bases that you see in most other armies. Um, there are, as we said, no heavy machine guns. Um, a lot of armies don't have that though. There are no heavy mortars. Again, a lot of armies don't have those though. This is a fairly straightforward list. There's no flamethrower team, as I mentioned before, but this looks like a general uh, small team list that could fit into almost every army out there, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, what I guess you'd call a basic menu. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess what does make this a little different from some minor nations, or I guess a lot of minor nations have these, whereas some other nations don't, you have all three types of artillery. Um, so you have the option for light artillery, medium, and heavy. Um you do get limitations when it comes to, and this is what you were talking about a second ago, anti-tank guns. Uh, so in this list, you have the option of a light anti-tank gun. You have the option of actually just multiple light anti-tank guns. Uh, I just realized I thought one was light and one was medium, but nope. So you have the option of three different uh, howitzer types, but only one type of anti-tank. 
Um, and while we're talking about it, uh, the anti-aircraft, you can take a light automatic cannon, a light auto cannon, but no heavy. Um, and that is all of the artillery available to the Bulgarians. Um, again, that is really restricted compared to some nations. Um, what do you think about that list, Pete? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously pretty thin on the ground. Um, it's a reasonable representation of, I guess, you know, the very earliest start of um, what the Bulgar of World War Two, what the Bulgarians had. Um, so, you know, it, it it is you know good for that period, but um, certainly from a gameplay point of view, your your hands are pretty tied in terms of the options that you've got once you've um, got your infantry. Mm -hmm. To, I should point out that the one of the anti-tank guns um, has a, is a hybrid gun, um, which is something you don't see in a lot of lists. Uh, so the Skoda 37 millimeter slash 70 millimeter hybrid gun um, has oh, barrels that can switch out. So when ordering the gun to advance as well as repositioning it, the barrel can be changed. So you can use this as a light anti-tank gun or a light howitzer. Um, you just need to declare which one it is at the start of the game and keep track. Um, so, you know, given, I mean, first edition of the game, that would have been far more uh, effective than second edition, uh, where, uh, you know, the way HE worked changed. And, of course, it jumped to um, templates. But still, it's a nice it's a nice little bonus for 10 extra points on top of what you would normally pay for a light AT gun. Um, it's kind of cool. Yes, unfortunately, the Bulgarians didn't have that, but oh well. <clears throat> cough, cough. <clears throat> That's kind of why I brought it up last, so we could uh, <clears throat> sneak in on that. Um, now, tanks. Now, you have talked at length about how uh, limiting the armored options were. Uh, so let's talk about a couple of these. We have the CV-33, which is, of course, the Italian tankette that is 60 points regular, 48 points inexperienced. It has a forward uh, hull-mounted MMG. In the Italian list, I believe these guys also have the option for a flamethrower. They do not have the option in the Bulgarian list. It is just a tankette. Uh, with a, so seven plus armor that costs 60 points regular with a forward facing MMG. Um, anything you want to add to that, Pete? No, it's a, it's a good little choice. And if you're looking just at the Bulgarian um, list from the book, um, I think it's one of the things you'd probably be looking down pretty closely at. Um, a fully armored um, MMG, even at 60 points, is uh, not bad. No, exactly. And if you're comparing it to the other two tanks in the tank slot, uh, I think you uh, might think this one's pretty good because the other both, or the other two both have the one-man turret rule. So let's talk the R35, the Renault R35. It is 124 points inexperienced, 155 points regular. It has a turret-mounted low-velocity light AT gun, and it is a light tank with 8-plus armor. So it's got the one-man turret rule, which means that um, it is always necessary to make an order test when issuing an advance order, um, even if the tank is not pinned. So in a way, it's like Shirker. Um, Again, it can be difficult to get this tank to do what you want if you're trying to not move, sorry, move and fire. If you want to do one or the other, it's fine. Um, it does have armor to all around, which means it has, um, it counts its side and rear armor uh, and above armor as its full front armor, which again is only eight. 
But, you know, that's hardly something to sneeze at if you're looking for something bonus on this tank. Unfortunately, it does have the low-velocity light AT gun. Um, it, I believe even in the profile, it says it's a puny weapon, uh, which means its armor penetration is three rather than four, so it's not necessarily great against other tanks. And icing on the cake, it's slow. God, I hate this tank. Um, Pete, you love these things, right? <laughs> they were rubbish in real life and they're rubbish in the game. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it is just worth noting um, for those looking at the list and reading along at home, This uh, the points for this have been errated because they're, they're just wrong in this list. I'm um, glad, so, yeah. Uh, it's actually only 120 points for regular, but I, was, I still wouldn't pay 120 points for it. I mean, having said that, I've got two of them for my Bulgarians, just cause um yeah and you know but yeah no definitely not something i'd take competitively that's for sure yeah i think the best part about the r35 is the picture in the book that has the skull and crossbones painted on the front so it looks a little bit like a pirate ship but other than that i think that that needs to be left at home um let's talk about the other 35 the suma s35 now this is also a light tank uh it is 108 points Inexperienced, 135 regular. It's got a light AT gun, but it's got a coax MMG. Both of those are in the turret. Uh, as I said, it's eight plus armor. It also suffers from the one-man turret rule, which means you, if you advance, you need to pass an order test, even if you don't have any pins. Um, but it's got improved front armor. So it's... Uh, the Suma's relatively thick and well-sloped front armor gets a plus one rating. So that's cool. So it actually counts as being a medium tank from the front, uh, which makes this kind of a fun tank if you're looking for just a basic light tank with a little bit of anti-tank uh, kick to it. Um, Pete, what do you think? Better than the R35, I'm assuming? Yeah, well, that's a pretty low bar. But yes, better than the R35. Yes. Um, I guess the main thing to note about this tank in the Bulgarian context is that although the evidence is a little mixed, it is not likely that they um, they actually received any of these. So um, uh, I've certainly, you know, I think uh, I wouldn't rule it out definitively again. You know, English language sources are a bit difficult to find in this theatre, but um, as far as I can tell, they never actually had any of these tanks. Yeah, the Minor Powers books, and I do know some of the people that wrote this book, so I, I do feel bad saying this. There are a couple of options in here that didn't necessarily appear in the actual armies during World War II, uh, and I the S-35 in this list is one of them. Um, but let's talk about something that was used, at least I think so. I'm about to, you know... <laughs> mess up otherwise let's talk about the simovente 4732 now they the bulgarians did use these right um yes and no okay <laughs> so i clearly don't know what i'm talking about explain so i mean it's a great little tank um so there's really three sort of stages of the war for the bulgarians there's the the start of the war when they were um you know, start of World War Two, not necessarily when they entered, when they were sort of building up their forces and they were buying from lots of different places and lots of different armor mm -hmm. um, in particular. Um, but 
they didn't they didn't have very many good options. Then the mid period of the war, where the Germans became concerned about um, Allied landings on the coast and um, Turkey, the Germans suddenly sold them a lot of not only um, uh, ex French stuff, but mm-hmm. also um, a number of quite you know more modern German kit as well. Then there's the final stage of the war when they became a Soviet ally. And the interesting thing is when they became a Soviet ally, instead of pass, suddenly passing on a bunch of Soviet equipment to the Bulgarians, the Soviets basically just passed on to them whatever German and Italian vehicles that they captured along the way. Oh, interesting. Um, and amongst those vehicles is believed to have been one or two Sov- Sovimente 47 um, guns right at the end of the war. Um, there's no evidence that the Germ they um, got any from the Germans, um, even though that they were widely used in the Balkans, and in fact the Germans themselves used them quite extensively in the Balkans. Um, but it was it wasn't potentially until the Soviets gave them one or two captured examples that they had this um, this vehicle. That's fascinating. So in a way, uh, even if so, for example, if you wanted to use the Bulgarian list, but then use them to represent the Soviet um, sort of circa 1945 Soviet allied Bulgarians uh, on the tabletop, you could probably still use the Axis allied list and take um, some some more mainstream German vehicles like a Stug or a, a, a Panzer, right? Yep. Boom. And we'll get into that in your list. But um, just by your saying that, I think that you can play around with the base list. If Pete's list isn't, for, for example, uh, allowed at an event, you could still take the late war allied Bulgarians if you just took some German vehicles and added them to the list already, right? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Um, well, let's talk quickly about the Simovente. It is 85 points regular. Uh, it is a forward-facing light AT gun. It's a tankette, so it's seven plus armor. It's got um, you. You can add a forward-facing uh, pintle-mounted MMG. You can make it a command tank um, for fifteen less points, but you lose the AT gun with an MMG to do that. Um, ouch. Uh, you can, uh, oh, sorry, it has the vulnerable rule, so it is extra susceptible to penetration from the side and rear, um, which does not help this tank. You have It is open-topped, and it has the command tank rule if the option's taken. Again, not the best tank, uh, but a very cool-looking tank at. Uh, there's only two other options in this list where we have one is your standard truck, which is the exact same truck you see everywhere else, the 12-man capacity truck. However, you cannot add a machine gun to it, so gun bunnies can't take those. Um, likewise, there is an, uh, you can take artillery tractors, so 12 points, 15 points uh, regular, 18 points veteran. Uh, so, sorry, 12 points inexperienced. Um, again, uh, soft skin, but you can tow any howitzer, any AT gun, or any anti-aircraft, uh, which is nice because a lot of lists, including Germany, don't have that option. So, uh, yeah, kind of cool. Um, Pete, anything you want to, before we get into your list, any final notes about the Minor Powers Bulgarian Army list? It's, it's short. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's sharp. Um, but you could definitely build a themed list with it that would sort of accurately represent Bulgarians on the tabletop in many parts of the war, right? Yeah, uh, I think it's um, 
it does what it's required to do. It, it, um, it gives you all of the basic options and, as you say, allows you to put together a basic Bulgarian force pretty much covering a number of periods of the war. And, look, you know, with the special rules and a couple of those options, I think, you know, you can put together a half-decent competitive force um, with that. Your, your main um, issue is going to be armour, but, as I say, the... The CV-33 is not a bad little infantry killer and the Sovereignty 47-32, just from a points point of view, um, is, is not a bad little vehicle. Now, if you're running your Bulgarians later in the war and you're running more regular squads, the option of giving basic squads Panzerfaust, while that won't solve your armor problem in general, given that you can only take one per squad, that is still a hell of a deterrent if you're trying to put certain squads on objectives to keep enemy armor at bay. Um, Panzerfaust are amazing if you can hit with them. Yeah, no, and you know, adding those in, um, as you say, also gives you the um, tank hunter option. So mm -hmm. um, I've lost more than one vehicle to an assault um, by infantry, so I don't think it's anything to be sneezed at. Yeah, the old power, we used to joke that is the power hammer of uh, bolt action where the one guy with the Panzerfaust is jumped on top of the tank and is <laughs> knocking off armor plates and beating the top of the tank with the Panzerfaust. Of course, that's not actually what happens. But the fact that you don't lose that rule um, when you're, you know, using tank hunters, it's like it magically makes you great at hunting tanks, but you still have it after you've done it. Anyway, moving on. Um, just a, a little mental, it's like that, that old 40 K meme drive me with the guy with the sword sticking out of oh, the yeah. blade. <laughs> drive me closer so I can hit him with my sword. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let, let's talk about your list, Pete. Now let's start by talking about what is your list and why did you make it? How is it different from the, the basic Bulgarian list and what was your thought process in creating it for the community to use? Well, look, as we've sort of said in reading the current list, it is very basic, and that's no knock on um, the writers of this book. They mm -hmm. had a they had to fit a number of armies in, which meant you had to do a certain kind of generic force which covered a variety of periods. And you know, like all armies, the Bulgarian army was just more diverse and interesting than that current list um, sort of represents. And so, my intent was really just to um, uh, dig into the history a bit and pull out some of those additional units to give the Bulgarian army a bit more of its unique um, flavour um, when playing it. But the other key thing really was the pull out the allied versus the Axis um, sides of the conflict so that you could have it a quite a distinct army when you're fighting the Bulgarians as an Axis power or... Um, a, quite a different army when fighting them as an allied power. Exactly. And I think that really does... I mean, the rules that you've 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 added do change the flavor of the list, um, but definitely doesn't suffer from what you often see with non-official warlord lists, which is maybe things being a little too good. Um, I think you've done a very good job of tempering it and keeping the Bulgarian flavor and making a list that could very well have been in this book. So I think you've done an excellent job there. Um, so my hat off to you. Thank you very much. Um, shall we talk about your list then? 
Um, now, there are two sets of national rules. One is the Axis version, which we've talked about, which is exactly the same as the book. The other is the Allied. Now I'm going to present both sets of um, special rules because like the Chinese list, um, there are different options of national rules and then a, a common menu of units to pull from, if that makes sense. Uh, so let's talk about the Allied varieties. So the Allied national special rules, we have Soviet friends. Pete, what, is, what does that do for us? Um, look, in an effort to keep it balanced, it's actually... A, I guess a Soviet version of the Axis Allies rule. It right. um, allows you to, with the Bulgarian switching sides, it allows you to really add a unit from the Soviet Union book to your Bulgarian list. But I guess the the particular thing for the Bulgarians and its flavour comes from the fact that it's not just the Soviet book um, that the options that you got to choose from. Um, in my list, I have a um, options related to the German equipment that the Soviets passed to the Bulgarians during the um, final uh, part of the war. So you can choose something from the Soviet book or you can choose um, one of the options um, from the list of equipment that the Soviets um, passed to the Bulgarians. Like a Stug, for example. Yep, like a Stug and like a Panther. Um, Yes. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of catches, which we'll get to, but yes, Mm -hmm. um, the Soviets, I mean, we've already touched on, but the Soviets passed a really interesting list of really, as I say, eclectic stuff that they just captured on the battlefield um, and they figured the Bulgarians know German stuff, so let's just give it to them. Um, So there's really a very interesting eclectic list of stuff that um, was passed to the Bulgarians um, just to give you a quick sense of at least in the armor there's um the stu 42 the hetzer the jag panzer the hummel the wesp the sovereignty for 4732 it was already mentioned um and also um a hungarian nimrod so you know mm-hmm. as i say whatever they collected yeah which is the anti-aircraft tank um that you know is hinted at in the fin list and we previously have called the fin rod if you're wondering what i'm talking about (laughs) um well cool well that is a nice counterbalance to the axis allies rule in the official list you're basically creating a soviet version um now the other rule that replaces the counterpartisan experts that appears in the axis list is a rule that you have called political reliability so the soviet sorry the the allied version of the bulgarians don't get the stop the outflanking rule. What they get is this, um, which is allied Bulgarian force may include uh, or includes a free commissar with two men as per the commissar entry from the armies of the Soviet Union book. Um, And the Bulgarian commissars get the national rule not one step back. So, uh, Pete, talk to us about that. Look, I thought a long time about whether I would change the counterpartisan rule because it's just obviously, as we've already talked about, a pretty good rule and mm-hmm. I think one of the things that attracts people. But, you know, it's a, quite a different army when the Soviets take over and therefore I thought it needed something to reflect that and one of the sort of major changes was the fact that you suddenly had all of these commissars um, watching over the shoulder of everyone, both Bulgarian and Soviet commissars. So um, that's just to reflect that um change between the Axis and Allied periods. 
Yeah, I think that really does, as you say, changes the flavor of how the list works. Uh, but I think it, it, it really, I don't think it's OP, but it, it definitely gives the, the, the list a very different feeling, uh, and would allow you to sort of branch out, especially if you're going to dig into inexperienced squads. I think that this is a great special rule for that because it really does help boister those squads that might be otherwise tempted to run, right? Yeah, so the synergy there was one of the things I was looking at that obviously as the armies expanded, you were seeing more inexperienced troops and um, that's, uh, you know, one of the benefits of having a commissar is being able to better manage those. Nice. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the actual headquarter units then because traditionally the commissars are part of that. Of course, you would get that for free, um, but the rest of the headquarter units would be Officers, which are the same as the Bulgarian list that we talked about before. Medics, which are exactly the same as the list we talked about before. And the Artillery Observer, not air, exactly like we talked about before. So again, no changing there outside of the addition of a free Commissar and support team. Um, anything you want to add to that, Peter? It sounds like the list, I mean, certain parts of the list just didn't need changing, so you you didn't change them. Yeah, there was nothing particularly special in the headquarters units um, area that I thought needed updating or reflecting in a new list for yeah, the they, Bulgarians. They didn't suddenly lose artillery and gain a bunch of airplanes. So yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. So let's let's talk about the the basic infantry teams. Um, now the basic infantry squad that we talked about before, the regular one with the Panzerfaust, that does not change. You can still take that in this list. Um, likewise, the inexperienced infantry squad is exactly the same. Um, however, if I'm reading this right, they have to take the Shirker rules. So just to reflect um, the change from access to allies and this, you know, reflecting a bit of research I did, I've added a special rule for when you use um, inexperienced infantry um, sections in an allied army. Ah, and that is you, you have to take them as Shirkers. And that's to reflect the fact that um, a lot of uh, a lot of Bulgarians, certainly the officers and even the soldiers, bore no you know huge animosity towards the Germans, and they weren't particularly keen on dying in what seemed like the inevitable feat, defeat of Germany. So um, just and a lot of them were just new. Like the Bulgarian communist government, once they took over, raised a whole bunch of new units, and they were not only inexperienced, but not particularly keen on um, fighting and dying. So I've just made it so that if you're taking an, an inexperienced squad in an allied army, you have to take them as shirkers. Makes sense. And again, again, the commissar, perfect uh, com <laughs> a little buddy to go with those squads. Um, yep. Mounted squads, also there, don't change. Um, but let's, let's talk about something that does. Um, I did mention the Hungarian paratroopers uh, with John Stollard and joking around earlier, but you have added the, uh, Bulgarian paratroopers, which were formed in December of 1942, um, whose recruits were sent to, for training in Germany. So these guys are a new unit type that you've added. And if I'm reading it right, therefore the access and the allies, or is it just the allies? Uh, no, the access and the allies can take them. Mm -hmm. um, they 
uh, obviously, like most of the Bulgarian army did the fighting during the Allied period, but certainly um, they were available to the Axis um, government during that period as well. So these were like the elite of the um, Bulgarian army and trained by the Germans. And uh, they really showed their stuff after they entered into combat um, following the switch to the Allies. Uh, and they suffered quite heavy losses, but they showed that they were a very effective um, fighting force as well. Now, in your list, you have a, a picture of these guys standing in a row, and they all have uh, you know, German submachine guns strapped to their chest. So, yes, uh, I believe that uh, the rule... <laughs> looking at that, I was like, huh, I wonder if these guys have SMGs. Oh, they all do. So it's a veteran unit. Uh, you can have up to nine guys. It comes with an NCO and four guys, and you can take four additional uh, for 17 points each. So they're a little bit more expensive than your standard veteran, but that takes into account that they all have submachine guns. You can take up to two guys with light machine guns whose points have been modified to... So you're only paying 17 points each because you're already paying the three for submachine guns. Um, and you can take the Panzerfaust, but um, if you've done your math properly, usually veteran infantry are 13. Your SMG is plus three, so that would be 16. So if you're wondering where that extra point is, they have a special rule, and that is tough as boots, which is the same as the British rule, which means for every three men fighting in close combat, you get an extra dice. Now, I think, Pete, it would have been really easy for you just to say these guys really, um, you know, were badasses in hand-to-hand -hand combat. We, you know, they're in close quarters. They were quite intimidating. Um, you mentioned that before. I think it would have been really easy to say, oh, I'm just going to give them tough fighters. Uh, I, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that they didn't have tough fighters. Instead, they had tough as boots. Um, why did you make that decision? And um, tell us a little bit more about your process there. Look, I, I think whenever you try and um, add to something that has already been written, I think that you try and make it original and interesting rather than just, um, I guess, sort of cookie cutter um, forces from that could be in any list. So, you know, you're trying to create something that's a little bit interesting. The paratroopers were a very interesting force. So um, uh, they were used in close assault um, quite often, which is, and a lot of, um, of the literature about them, um, particularly when they were fighting with the allies was that they, deliberately dumped their rifles and um, got themselves SMGs because that was their main role, close assault. And so I thought tough as boots just reflects that. I mean, as I say, as you said, could make them tough fighter, but, you know, do we need another tough fighter, <laughs> tough fighting unit? Um, no. So I was just trying to create something a little bit distinctive and interesting that still reflected the flavor of those um, particular Bulgarian troops. Yeah, and for those of you at home thinking, oh, you know, Tough Fighter is so much better, da-da-da-da-da, remember, you only get to roll additional dice with Tough Fighter if you hit. These are automatic bonus dice. So for every three guys fighting, you get an extra dice. So if your squad's at max nine, which is probably what I would take, you'd get three extra dice in hand-to-hand -hand combat, making 12 dice rolled. That's pretty good. Um, I like that. I think it's a great rule. I think it's um, well chosen and it's a nice change. As you said, it's just yet not another tough fighter unit. Um, plus these guys already have SMGs. So yeah, there's a lot going on. Plus with SMGs, they already have tough fighter, 
Um, yep. So this is just giving them that little extra boost. Um, and if you're saying, oh, that makes them OP, they're 17 points a model. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think they're appropriately pointed. Um, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let's get to the recce section. So this is in 1943, facing the threat of Allied uh, landings in the Mediterranean coast. The Bulgarian army initiated a major modern modernization program with German cooperation. The cornerstone of this effort was the upgrade of Bulgaria's only armored regiment uh, to a brigade. Uh, this included the additional uh, the addition of reconnaissance battalion uh, with two motorcycle companies. Uh, so these guys are your motorcycle troops. So for 85 points, you get an NCO and four guys mounted on motorcycles. Um, you can take up to three additional guys. So you can go up to eight. Uh, they have rifles. Um, they're 15 points each. And uh, with that, you can take up to one additional sub or light machine gun for 20 points. Um, and of course, another guy becomes a loader. But basically, these guys are regular, and you're paying five points additional per guy uh, to give them motorcycles, so they become a mounted section uh, according to the rules in the core rulebook, uh, which makes them a very cool addition to this list because there are not a lot of motorcycle units in the bolt action game. Great ad, Pete. Love it. Yeah, well. It, once again, it was one of those distinctive units that um, was, uh, you know, sort of stood out to me as I was reading the history. The development of this armoured force was really the, um, I guess, the pride of the Bulgarian army in World War II. Um, they'd pushed for a long time to try and get the equipment from the Germans to do this. Um, and um, with the change to the Allies, they saw some pretty heavy fighting. Um, so... I thought that they uh, deserved a mention, and um, it's also, as you say, gives the Bulgarians a bit of an interesting flavour compared to some of the other um, minor allied nations by giving them a motorcycle unit. So I thought they were a, a, an interesting ad. Exactly. Now, if I well, we've talked extensively about partisan action in today's episode, but if we were to you know, if you wanted to represent sort of a Bulgarian partisan force, obviously the partisan list in the French and the um, Allied Minor Powers book would be probably your go-to. However, if you're looking to do something that involves these special rules and some of the units that we've talked about today, um, Pete's added a partisan section uh, for the Allied version of this only. Uh, now, you can add the partisan squads, the late war ones from the list I just mentioned, the inexperienced partisan squads, or the guerrilla squads from the bolt-action armies of France and the Allied book. So basically, it gives you three more unit types. Um, regular, basically, they go in order of regular, inexperienced, and veteran squads, all with lots of different weapon options, really does bulk out a lot of new opportunities uh, if you are looking to build a cool army, this is these are, this these are some great ads, um, and there were opportunities where uh, partisan forces were fighting with allied forces in uh, or Bar uh, allied Bulgarian forces uh, in actual conflict. So to to have an army that includes both isn't necessarily unrealistic, right? No, there's a a brief window between um, when the uh, Axis government was overthrown in Bulgaria and 
um, when the bo the new communist government started just incorporating all of the um, pro-allied and communist forces into the normal Bulgarian army, where the partisans who'd been fighting for years on against the Axis Bulgarian Axis government um, were, I guess, you know, became government forces of a sort, and they were particularly harassing the Germans as they withdrew from Bulgaria after Bulgaria left the Axis. So I th there's certainly a period there where it's very legitimate to add a couple of partisan squads onto a um, Bulgarian bolt action force. They're harassing the Germans as they retreat. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it, given how important the partisans were to the Bulgarian war experience, I, I didn't feel you could do a list without having them in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, and I'm glad that you give you, I mean, you've given people the options to include all three levels of experience. You have three very distinct, very different, um, unit ads that already exist in the game, which, you know, you can just add into this list, which I don't think adds anything OP, but definitely gives you a lot more options than that basic, those, you know, maybe those basic infantry squads we were talking about before. Yep. I think, you know, something a little bit different and to have a couple of those squads add in, or even to have a whole partisan force backed up by some Bulgarian army support, mm -hmm. um, you know, is a, is a very viable and historically accurate um, army list. Yeah. And it, it just, I think that in particular, if we're going to talk themed lists, I think you could do both the, what I was talking about. As you said, it's a very distinct window where you would have um, maybe some partisan units fighting alongside regular army units. But if you are a regular partisan player like I was for quite a while, um, just the complete and utter lack of anti-tank weapons can be crippling. The fact that you can take these units as your mainstay and then and use this bulgarian list you've created as a partisan list you lose out on the partisan special rules and you gain the the ones that you've talked about the you know the ones that you've put in but in doing so you can actually add some interesting maybe vehicles or um, artillery options or weapons teams that the regular partisan list just doesn't have access to. Um, and while you might be able to get a little gamey with that, um, depending on how you build it, I'm more interested in taking something that partisan forces were taking units and weapons uh, and vehicles off of the forces they were fighting. It's very possible that some of the you might get a larger gun in a partisan force, and this would be a way that would allow you to do that, right? Yeah, and it's also a way of representing a bit later in the war the fact that you know Tito's partisans in Yugoslavia fought alongside the Bulgarian forces as they were fighting their way across the Balkans. So um, while I guess you know technically those forces, those partisan forces, aren't actually part of the Bulgarian armed forces per se. You know, in terms of representing the history on the table, uh, it certainly is quite legitimate to have a partisan force um, representing the communist Tito partisans fighting with the Bulgarians. And as you rightly point out, in fact, some of Tito's partisan units are actually better equipped than the Bulgarians in terms of armour and weapons. So mm -hmm. I don't see any problem with them having uh, good weapon options. And it would give you, especially given that Warlord has just put out some great new partisan models, and uh, is it War? 
War Games Atlantic. Who else put out the the plastic? Yeah, War Games Atlantic. Yeah, so good. There are so many great partisan models out there at the moment that you can use. Um, that you know, you can have a really exciting, dynamic-looking army that just isn't your standard khaki, gray, or green that you see in almost every bolt-action army. It really allows you to dig in there and have some awesome modeling opportunities, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's some great options out there these days. Well, let's talk about another option that would allow you to add some cool-looking models that you wouldn't normally see on the tabletop, and that is the police. Um, you have a police unit uh, added in here, which is an inexperienced unit, 41 points. Uh, so it's an NCO and five guys, so it's six dudes. Um, you can take up to an additional five at six points each. Uh, so that is up to an 11-man unit. Um, the NCO and up to two guys can release, uh, replace their pistols with SMGs. I should have said the NCO has a pistol, everyone else has a rifle. Um but if you take these guys as Axis, um, they have shirkers. Uh, collaboration units can be represented as shirkers for a reduction of three points per man. Uh, why did you add these guys? Because, I mean, obviously every, every nation had police floating around during World War II. But is it because this list does sort of have anti-partisan units that you would include police as part of that? Yeah, I think that's very much to play that sort of anti-partisan period from about 41 to 43. Um, and it, the police sort of is meant to capture really two types of um, units. That is the uh, collaborationist units that um, the Bulgarians set up inside their occupation zones, but also later in the war as the um, partisan threat grew inside Bulgaria itself, the Bulgarians set up a dedicated um, anti-partisan force within Bulgaria. Um, so it's sort of to capture both of the, those types of forces and to rep represent that whole anti-partisan um, uh, type of combat that the Bulgarians were primarily focused on for the vast bulk of the war. And just, I guess, I've tried to make that unit a little unique. Um, they were heavily engaged in anti-partisan activities, but... Um, Mostly they didn't have a lot of heavy weapons. Um, so as you've already mentioned, the NCO starts armed with a pistol like everyone else. But those five men that you add to the squad for six point each are all armed with pistols. So um, it's if you want to if you want to uh, upgrade them, you can upgrade some of them to SMGs. But it's to represent the fact that this is the Bulgarians giving primarily giving local people some weapons, um, which. Mm -hmm you know, may may not have been high quality or very useful um, to counter uh, local partisan attacks and um, uh, it, partisan influence being spread. So um, I've, as you've already mentioned, I've made it the collaborationist shirkers because despite some initial enthusiasm, the, the collaborationist units uh, dropped off very quickly in terms of their willingness to fight for the Bulgarians um, and they're of mixed quality. Uh, whereas the Bulgarian police units inside Bulgaria itself were of better quality. But as I say, they were not really trained for conventional warfare or supported for that. So yeah. I've rated them as inexperienced. Yeah. And the fact that only half of them have rifles, um, or at least the, the ones that you initially buy, any additional ones only come with pistols, really does sort of add that ad hoc weaponry feel to this unit, which makes them feel a lot less conventional. 
Yeah, that was the intent. Cool. Well, that's the end of the infantry section. So clearly you've added a lot of options for Bulgarian players. Again, I don't think anything is out of sorts with um, what we'd expect from a normal bolt-action army list, but really does allow you to dig into, add some nice flavor to a force. Um, with the small teams, you've kept the list the same. You've added a couple of units, but otherwise, the machine gun, uh, again, medium machine gun, Panzerschreck, anti-tank rifle, light and medium mortars, all the same from the Bulgarian list. What you have added, though, is a flamethrower team and a heavy mortar. Um, why did you add those? Uh, look, I, you always want to try and keep forces somewhat unique, so I always think you know, I don't want to make just generically add stuff, but the evidence was pretty clear that the Germans supplied Bulgaria with a number of flamethrowers and that they issued them. So they were certainly mm -hmm. available um, and they were used in the later stage of the war, particularly during the, the phases of assaulting German positions. Um, and the heavy mortar I've made allies only because... They didn't actually have any um, really during the uh, Axis period. It was only after they switched to the Allies that the Soviets provided them with a um, number of uh, uh, heavy mortars. And so it's both to reflect that historical fact, but also, I guess, to add just a little bit of additional flavour to the Allied, the uniqueness of the Allies, Allied force. Yeah, right on. Well, let's um, let's move on to artillery again. You haven't changed anything as far as light, medium, and heavy artillery options. There are a little bit of differences when we get into anti-tank guns, though, because again, we have the light AT gun and the hybrid gun. Even though you said they don't necessarily, <clears throat> they weren't always there. Um, you have added uh, medium and heavy AT gun options to this because they were supplied. To the uh, from the Germans and from the Soviets, I believe, into um, Bulgarian forces, um, both when they fought as Axis and allies, right? Yeah, I mean, that's really one of the most interesting evolutions of the Bulgarian army across the course of the war. I mean, they literally entered the war with no anti-tank guns. Um, so it was initially they got the light anti-tank guns from the Germans, which, as the list reflects, was a lot of um, uh, captured stuff. Um, including that Skoda hybrid gun. Um, but as I talked about earlier, the, that sort of three periods, one of the main changes was that as the Germans realised that they may face Allied landings or they may face a Turkish attack, um, they knew that the Bulgarians would need some decent anti-tank weapons to stop um, to stop either of those forces. Um and that the light anti-tank guns that they'd sort of been drip-feeding them were not going to cut it. So it was really one of the most significant changes in German support in '43 when they started shipping um, medium and heavy anti-tank guns to the Bulgarians to improve their forces. And I think that's probably one of the key changes, and I thought something that really needed to be reflected in a comprehensive um, Bulgarian army list. Nice. Yeah, I'm, and it's one of those things that a lot of the minor powerless really do take a good snapshot, um, particularly in the Allied book. You get uh, a very particular army list to represent an army, typically at the very beginning of the war. Um, but then later in the war, those lists often don't have the options to sort of represent what those armies actually had in real life. 
Um, and I think you adding those definitely helps that, right? Yeah, it just allows players to play the different periods to evolve the army over time. So you can play it as an early war um, occupation partisan force or a um, late war um, allied or even Axis, what-if Axis type force. Exactly. Well, you also have, so if we move to anti-aircraft guns, clearly the original list had the light uh, autocannon. You've had an option for a heavy autocannon, but you've also included the big daddy, the 88 flak. Um, now, uh, having heard from good buddy, our good buddy from the Ghost Army, uh, Dave Monroe, um, wanted to know, because he is a big fan of this army list, but he wanted to know um, why you included the 88 flak. Even they were traditionally used mainly around the, according to him, the capital and typically for actual anti-air use. Um, but you did include their use for a Bulgarian army list on the tabletop. Um, why is that? Um so the 88 flak was actually a pretty easy decision. <laughs> we might go back to the heavy auto cannon in a sec. Um, yeah. I mean, the bottom line is they had a lot of them in relative in relative terms. Um, and also, uh, certainly when they switched to the Soviets, a number of them were actually used in a field role. Um, so they were formed into um, a, a Soviet Army heavy AA unit, which was operational in the field. Now, I haven't... I haven't dug deeply enough to know whether they actually did any um, sort of direct fire support as part of that AA unit. But yes, a number of the guns were moved out from um, the Bulgarian capital and formed into AA units for mobile forces. So nice. they certainly got them out in the field um, as part of the allied armies. Um, and given the numbers that they had, um, if pressed in, if the Soviets, if they'd stayed with the Axis and were fighting um, Soviets, I'm sure they would have used them in that role as well. Mm. Um, I going went back and forth on the heavy auto cannon mm. a bit that actually may not make it into the final version of this list when I finalise it, um, because it a small number is quite small. I think um, off the top of my head, I think it was about a dozen. Um, I've included them because... A, they were part of that um, armoured unit that I talked about, and so mm -hmm. they were part of that elite unit, and I wanted to be able to represent that. And then the Soviets subsequently supplied them with a significant number more of them, but, yeah, it's probably less likely that um, the Germans would encounter the heavy auto cannons being used than they would have actually the 88 flax being used in the field. Mm. I mean... It's great to have that option, though, and I like that when you're talking about specific units that you're able to then add in to create the units that you you might be passionate about on the tabletop, right? Yeah, it give, just gives you that option if you really wanted to specifically do that um, Bulgarian armored unit, which, as I say, is one of the, I guess the unique units of the of the war for the Bulgarians. That you've got all of the pieces in this list that you would need to build a the elements of that um, unit. Nice. Well, let's dig in a little bit then to the vehicles. Um, because up <laughs> until now, it's been fairly straightforward. Um, some great new unit ads, some very fluffy unit ads. Now with the vehicles, it gets a little harder. Now, a lot of these are, yes, this is straight out of the master list. So, for example, the CV-33, again, the same. Um, or is it? No, it is slightly different. Um, so you've gone sort of back and forth with a lot of these units. Um, 
by saying that some have to be veteran and some can't be veteran. So the CV-33, for example, um, due to Bulgaria's lack of combat experience when these guys were being used, they cannot be taken as veteran. Uh, the Vickers is uh, the Vickers six ton Mark E is very similar to that. Uh, so is the uh, Panzer thirty eight T and thirty five T. We also have the R thirty five because that tank was awesome. Can't be taken as veteran as well. Uh, and yep. but. That changes once we start getting into the Panzer IV. So yep. why does the Panzer IV change? Um, so it all goes back to that discussion about the fact that Bulgaria, um, when they finally got some decent tanks from the Germans, the Germans uh, saw this unit as one of the cornerstones of a Bulgarian force that would be able to fight the Soviets. And so both the Germans and Bulgarians invested very heavily in it. And even once the Bulgarians went over to the Allies, the, the esprit de corps of this unit and their very high level of training compared to um, the rest of the force, mm -hmm. um, I think warrants the fact that there needs to be a distinction between that very unique late war armoured force, which um, was built around the Panzer IVs, um, and some Stugs, as we'll get to, and mm -hmm. the earlier war armoured forces, which were smaller, um, primarily either kept in reserve um, out of fear of Turkey or used in um, anti-partisan type roles, so didn't have a lot of conventional experience. So right. I think there's just a natural distinction between these Panzers, which I've said um, uh, have a certain, you know, a, a, Need have a certain level of aggressiveness, and so they cannot be taken as inexperienced. Versus the um, earlier armor, which, as I say, was either in reserve or occupation type roles, and really didn't have that training or experience. And so, I think it would be unrealistic to take them as veterans. Right. Um, and again, you, in, uh, besides the Panzer IV, you've added several other tanks as well, like the Hotchkiss H39, uh, which is for the Axis only. Um, now, these uh, can only be taken as inexperienced uh, for the reasons you just discussed. Again, the M, uh, sorry, the S-35, as if that wasn't bad enough. Um, you can only take them as inexperienced. Uh, and to get it into, if you are an allied player, um, you can take a Panzer, sorry, a, a Panther, a Panzer III, uh, and a Turin from the Hungarian list, is it? Um, yep. Yep. And so, but those again can only be taken as inexperienced. Um, you yep. want to talk about that because that that seems very fluffy and cool. And then get into the T thirty four eighty fives. Yeah, I mean the Bulgarian. Uh, one one of the fascinating things about the Bulgarians is their army is their armor list, just because it's so varied and interesting. Like mm. you mentioned, the Vickers six ton, which I've added. Um, it was pre-war tank. They bought it pre-war. Um, most armies had phased it out by 1941, but the Bulgarians kept theirs running pretty much. It was certainly on the books until the end of the war. Um, so there's some interesting vehicles in there. So you've got the Vickers 6-ton. Um, I've also added into the Bulgarian list the um, T-35, which was always been in the German list, but isn't really seen anywhere. In fact, there's not a lot of models for it because it's sort of eclipsed by the T-38, 
They're both Czech-type tanks. They look very similar, but the T-35 was an earlier version with a slightly lesser gun. Um, so it's just a visually just another thing that makes the Bulgarians stand out a little bit more from other Axis armies of that period. Um, but as I say, the, one of the key changes was when the Germans agreed to finally sell them some decent tanks in the form of the Panzer IVs. And so they got um, 88 of those, which were really the core of Bulgaria's you know, late war armoured capability. Um, but yes, in addition to the um, French tanks we've already mentioned, um, I've added in the H-39 um, just because, uh, for a variety of reasons, um, the Germans offered them to the Bulgarians and the Bulgarian army said, no, thanks. We've seen the R-35s. We don't want the um, H-39s. Mm-hmm. Um so the police force we were talking about earlier, the gendarmerie, actually took them in. So they were used inside Bulgaria by the police. So just a, another interesting um, piece of colour for the um, Bulgarians. Um, the final one, as you've already mentioned and we've touched on previously, is that these Soviet um, support vehicles that the Soviets captured and passed on, and it was really... There was no rhyme or reason to what was captured or what was passed on. It was just whatever they ran across and got their hands on, they passed on to the Bulgarians. So you got some very interesting vehicles. So you got a Panther, you've got a Panther, but also a Turin, as you mentioned. So a Hungarian mm-hmm. frontline German tank compared to a not so great Hungarian tank. But I guess the key thing that united these is that. Literally, it was what the Soviets picked up on the battlefield. So they came with no training. They came with no support. Um, these were generally onesies and twosies, certainly not more than a dozen of any one particular type. So um, what I've said is that um, they can only be taken as inexperienced because realistically, I don't think if there's any way you could get a, a Bulgarian veteran Panther tank just for, for the reason of not having any spares for it alone. So... Uh, it's, but it does, you know, really give the Bulgarians colour. Um, and the last one you sort of touched on there is the T-34-85. I've mentioned throughout that Bulgaria is a difficult subject to get to grips with. The English source, language sources aren't great. There's a lot of contradiction, a whole bunch of reasons for that. But I couldn't quite nail down to my own satisfaction whether they had any T-34-85s. And so... Um, although a couple of sources suggest that they did, um, I've left them out um, of the Bulgarian list, although you can still take them under the, as we said right up front, the Soviet friend's special mm-hmm. rule and just take them out of the Soviet army book. That's such a nice ad because I like that you acknowledge that, look, they, they could have been there, um, but I, I just can't prove it. So if you want to take them, and they, you know, and a lot of people would, Here's how you do it. Um, it's just a nice little text box ad that I really dig um, that really jumped out at me when I was reading this list the first time. So nicely done. Um, Thank you. Shall we move on to the assault guns? Um, because we do have our Simovente from before, uh, which again, look back at the Bulgarian list. Um, but there's also the Stug 3. Now, the Stug 3 
cannot be taken as inexperienced. They have the same rule, Elan, that the uh, Panzer IV had. So if you're running an Axis list and you want to take a non-inexperienced Stug Three, you can do that. Um, you can take the Stug Three Ost F, G, or H. Uh, and again, that's because these guys were really trained up by the Germans, right? Yep, absolutely. And these were part of that same elite armored unit, trained to a very high standard. Um, and so, yeah, the, that combination of Stugs and um, Panzer IVs was sort of the core of the Bulgarian um, capability. Mm -hmm. And as I've already said, very highly trained, saw themselves as an elite. And um, uh, despite being intimately trained by the Germans over an extended period, they were determined to prove what an effective force they were and fought very hard against the Germans. Nice. Well, let's look at the flip side of that coin and talk about the Soviet support. So if you are running the Allied version of this, um, again, it's a big old list of German vehicles, so don't be confused, guys. Um, and these, because they were, just as you were saying before, um, the slipshot nature of which they were passed to Bulgarians by the Soviets, because they were just you know, basically capture German and Italian uh, vehicles. Um, we have the Stug 4, the Stu 42, the Hetzer, the Jag Panther 4, the L70, um, the Hummel, the Wesp, the Sibovente 4732, and the Nimrod. Um, and again, all of these you must take as inexperienced because they don't have the training or support, like you said before. And you did make that list you did read it out before. I just wanted to repeat it so that people could get it. Um, before yep. we jump to armored cars, anything you want to add? No, uh, it's. Um, I just like that list of vehicles that the Soviets passed. It's just so random. Yeah, and, it is. Uh, and the idea that you can have Bulgarians with, say, a, a Panther and um, a Wesp is, uh, you know, I think gives you some fun and interesting options to explore. Yeah, the, I think the only time you can take those vehicles and a commissar ever. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, right? true. Very weird. Very cool. Um, well, something that the Bulgarian list didn't have originally uh, and something that you've added is, of course, armored cars. Um, now, you could friend one in, uh, according to the original list. But in this, um, uh, like the Panzer IV and the Stug III, you've added the option to take the SDKFZ Triple uh, Two or the 223 from the armies of Germany. And this has the Elan rule, which means that, um, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering my pronunciation there, guys, units, uh, so this unit cannot be taken as an experienced. Um, again, very cool to see that added um yeah. because they were part of the 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 unit that was there as you say to dissuade turkey right yeah that's right they, they were part of building up the reconnaissance capability of that armored unit um very small number of them but as i say i think worth representing and you know my goal with all of these armored units was really just to expand out the bulgarian list so you had um, a range of true Bulgarian options, i.e. counted towards Bulgarian unit limits, um, while still being able to add something unique in the form of German or even earlier war Italian support. Yeah. And I, I love that you can take, uh, if you ran this list as the Axis, for example, that you could run um, a, a standard list 
where your vehicles, you could take your Panzer IV as your armored vehicle and your Triple Two or 223 as your armored car, then you can friend in a Stug. Um, and so you can actually represent that unit on the tabletop. Uh, and I think that would just be really rad. Like it would really give you the opportunity to play a Bulgarian list that doesn't look like what you'd normally expect. Uh, it would be really cool. And again, lots of new options. Very cool. Um, yep. yeah. Well, let's talk transports again. We have trucks, no machine guns, um, you can add a Kuba wagon from the armies of Germany list though. So you can have some utility cars, which is cool. And we have ye old artillery tractor. Now, um, there is, you've added in, um, the horse drawn limber. So that is what, uh, of course is in a lot of, was added via a PDF unit later to lots of lists. So this is automatically included in there. And that sort of sums up your version of the Bulgarian list. Um, Pete, now that we've gone through the list, um, any final thoughts on the list that you've gone? That maybe some, I maybe have we hit on everything that you were thinking of when you created this? Yeah, I think so. I've tried to walk the line between um you know giving people the history and what was actually in the bulgarian army while still keeping it within the bolt action game context boundaries try you know try not to make it either um, a bland army that looks the same as everything else or tip o over into op just because i'm so interested in it so mm -hmm. um i you know that was really the goal just to get pull out as much of the interesting units and history um, as I can without um, dumbing it down to lowest common denominator or um, ratcheting up to a nine on the power scale. Exactly. Now, I, I do think it's it's important to mention and something that I, I did not mention before and is on my list of notes to mention is when going through Pete's list, um, just like you would get in a lot of bolt action army lists, there's actually color text for every unit type. So you actually get that, that history infusion. You actually get the background to why these units are in the list. Um, not to mention there is, is some great history at the beginning of this. It actually feels like a real list. It feels fleshed out. And if you're unsure of any, if you really don't know a lot about Bulgaria in World War II, and I'll be honest, I'm no expert, this list told me a lot uh, about who Bulgarians were, what their role in the, in the conflict was. Um, it feels very much like a real bolt action, quote unquote, real a warlord official, let me say that, um, army list. Um, and you've done a wonderful job of really um, breathing life into a minor nation that a lot of people don't know a lot about. So yeah, clearly you've done a lot of research on this, Pete. So thank you for taking the time to sort of compile that all together into a, a list that we can play and enjoy. That was a lot of fun to do it. And um, I just hope people get a chance to try it and um, enjoy it. Uh, and uh, still looking for feedback as well. I mean, it's never truly finished, but um, as it gets out and about, if people have anything they want to, give me in terms of bits of history I've missed or things I don't, didn't know or sources I haven't found. I'm very keen to hear further feedback. Well, let's actually talk about specifically that. So uh, how can people find this outside of the show notes? How can people find this army list? 
Um, I personally went to the Bolt Action Australia New Zealand page. Um, I typed Bulgarian into the search bar, and uh, Peter West's post um, with a PDF appeared magically. And that's how I got there. Uh, Pete, is there an easier way, or is that the best way for people to find and view this wonderful document? Um, it's probably the easiest way at the moment. Um, it, uh, so I've posted it both on the main Bolt Action page and on the Bolt Action Australia New Zealand page. So if you type in Bulgarian, it'll show up. Um, once I've finalised the list, so I've just, you know, getting a little bit more feedback, giving myself a couple of weeks after finalising it to give it a few more reads, um, I will house it permanently in the files section of the Bolt Action Australia New Zealand Facebook page where you'll be able to get it from now until doomsday probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'll probably periodically just post about it because, you know, what, what what's a guy to do? Um, mm-hmm. so Got to share it, man. <laughs> there should be plenty of opportunities for um, people to pick it up if they like. And obviously when this podcast comes out, I'll link to it as well. Brilliant. And uh, let's talk about how people can give you feedback. So do they just find Peter West on Facebook and direct message you? Is that how you would like it? Yep. I mean, I'm available a couple of ways. So I'm one of the uh, admins for the Bolt Action Australia New Zealand Facebook page. So you can message, find me and message me there. Um, and also you'll see at the bottom of the list, once you get your hands on it, if you're interested, there is an email address there to email me if you've got anything you want to um, add or let me know about. Yep, there it is. Uh, I said there is and then looked and I'm looking at it right now and there it is. So, yep, perfect. Email Pete your thoughts, guys, because, um, yep, we want to get this finalized and get it done so uh, people can play a finalized finish. I mean, this is by saying that it makes it sound like it's not finished this is a full and finished list uh, but you know it's always good to tweak things to make them as accurate as possible yeah. now before we go pete there is a final addition to this document that I, you cannot not talk about uh let's talk about building bulgarians um you have put in a section on modeling now often when that's the case there aren't models to talk about now as you pointed out there are bulgarian models coming down the pike so what, what you've done is actually talked about the colors of uniforms. Um, you've talked about how to um, paint officers versus enlisted men. Um, you've talked, there's a whole section on uh, service collars. And of course, you talk about the M36 helmet that we talked about earlier in the episode. Uh, and that's all before getting into paratroopers. Um, talk to us a little bit about building Bulgarians, even though you might have the models coming from you know, a, a Great Escape Games later this year? It, as we've sort of alluded to, it's one of those armies where information can take a little bit of digging, mm-hmm. particularly about details like uniforms and that sort of thing. Um, you know, you see a couple of pictures and then because they're colorized, you wonder what's, what is that the right mm-hmm. color or is that? The... Um, I've just gone back and found a couple of sources, including, um, a U.S. Army intelligence sort of uh, report on the Bulgarians to try and pull out some details about um, what uh, sort of colours of uniforms, what how they wore them, what sort of um, patches and that sort of thing they had, so that when people do get models, they can um, uh, paint them up. And I mean, you know, it's not for me to tell people how to paint; it's just a resource um, for you to have a look at and decide if that. 
um, accords with the information that you've got. But it's all about getting Bulgarians on the board, making life a little bit easier for people to get started on a Bulgarian army um, as soon as they've got models for it. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, paratroopers as well. Um, because you give some very clear ideas on how you could start building paratroopers today um, using uh, existing Falschmjäger, uh uniforms and helmets, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the one unit of the Bulgarian army that definitely used um, other, other currently existing equipment was the paratroopers. They used... Um, um, German para helmets, and they also used um, German camouflage as well for their uniforms. So, for those in the know, they used German Luftwaffe Splinter Muster 41 camouflage pattern um, throughout the war. Um, so, if you want to go out there, get your hands on a box of Falschmäger, you can um, do some Bulgarian paratroopers up today. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the perfect way to start your Bulgarian force today. Uh, Pete, thank you so much for coming on, man. We've talked two hours about Bulgarians, which I think has got to be a, a land speed record or not. Sorry. Yeah. In the in the slow way. Um, but I think we've really dug in. Right. This this actually feels like we've done this justice and we've given a minor nation a little bit of love. Uh, anything you want to add, my good man? Or do you think we've uh, sort of summarized the, the Bulgarians in World War Two for the bolt action tabletop? as well as we probably can today. I think the Bulgarians have got more love today than they have in the last five years. So probably a good point at which to wind things up. Exactly, exactly. Well, Pete, as I've said off air, let me say it again. Uh, I know how hard it can be to research things for World War II, uh, especially when it's not in English and you've done the hard yards, you've done the hard work, and then you've put all of that into an army list and bulking out an existing army list to better represent what Bulgarians did in World War II, but not in a way that is, um, I think, as you said, uh, sometimes when we get really excited about projects and we're particularly passionate about an army, it, it's easy to go a little over the top with them. Uh, I think you've done a wonderful job of balancing in, into the bolt action game that exists today. So again, thank you for your hard work. I know this would have taken a ton of time uh, and effort to uh, to make work, and not to mention all the the historical writing that you added in addition to that. That's nothing to sneeze at. Well, thank you very much for taking two hours of your life to talk to me about it, Brad. <laughs> it's, not exactly, it's not exactly the normal dinner conversation that most people want to listen to, but um, I had a lot of fun doing this, and I hope um, the Bolt Action community enjoys it, and uh, I would welcome any feedback, and um, just uh, to give people a little taster, um, I hope to follow on from this list, given all the research I've done on the War in the Balkans with um, a little bit a little bit more to come in the future about Balkan um, forces. So nice. Um, keep an eye out and um, yeah, let me know what you think. That would be awesome. Now I know that not everyone is on Facebook. Uh, if you are looking for this list, uh, if you would like a link to it, or if you would like Pete's direct email address to give him feedback because you're not on Facebook, that's totally fine. Um, you can contact me at the show, and I can pass it to you. Um, ironically, um, typically the best way to contact me is through the Cast Dice Bolt Action. Sorry, the Cast Dice Facebook page. Um, but I know that not everyone's members of all of the Bolt Action associated pages on Facebook. 
Um, again, you can contact me and I can pass on any feedback or uh, Pete's contact information so you can talk to him directly. Um, Pete, again, thank you for coming on today, man. It, as you say, it's it's not every it's not every day we talk about Bulgarians, but if I'm going to talk Bulgarians, I'm glad it's with you, baby. <laughs> uh, happy New Year, Brad. That's it. That's it. <laughs> 2021. It's, it's starting well, um, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, again, I've had a lot of requests uh, recently to dig into. Uh, more bolt action content. I know I haven't done a lot uh, in the last month or two, mainly because I wasn't podcasting for a good chunk of that time. And I've had a lot of requests to do some. Um, there will be more bolt action content coming from the Ghost Army podcast and from Cast Dice in the coming weeks and months ahead, uh, amongst other games. Look forward to them coming soon. As always, if you have feedback, please go to Cast Dice on Facebook, C A S T D I C E. Uh, a message, you're guaranteed to reply. My name is Brad. Hi, and I will. I'm the only one who checks the page, and I guarantee a response. Uh, guys, I hope all of you at home, uh, given these crazy times, are safe and well. And uh, yeah, as our good buddy Casey says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Good night. Another day